0: Inappropriate Earl, SoundCloud and iTunes, currently number four on the iTunes comedy charts. I only mention that because I got three emails today asking me, Earl, did you really hack into iTunes? And if you did, how can we do it? It's called hard work. It's called having interesting guests. And I have an interesting guest today. He's not a comic. He's not a roast battle person. He's not a the third drummer from R.A.T. He's not the fourth bass player from Trickster. He's actually got current things happening. And he's uh, coming from a field that I don't usually have on this show. Uh, I don't even know how to describe him. Like, And I better think of it way fast, because this is his intro. He's in the animation field. He's an actor producer director music videos i mean he's really what they call in baseball a five-tool player and he's got a great story about a current project he's working on the happy time murders mr todd berger
1: hello thank you for having me yes i'm a, a man of many talents master of none um but but uh but yeah writing is my forte um, that's the thing I, I, I make the most money doing, which is what's important. Right. So, um, yeah, but I've been, i do all those things. I'm mostly a writer. I try to be a director as much as I can, uh, occasionally an actor, um, and then producing is no fun whatsoever. So I only do it if I have to. Producing well, it's like the one thing I'd never want to do.
0: You know, I don't, I, I like being in front of the camera myself Right. just cause I'm more of a performer. I'm like the opposite of you. Like, I'm not the greatest writer. Right. Uh, I'm a good, like, uh, to coin a baseball term, I'm a closer. Like, if you had trouble with an idea, I might say, well, how about this? But I couldn't come up with that idea. Right. Like, the Happy Time Murders, I couldn't have dreamed that up in
1: my wildest. Have you ever been part of a roundtable? Are you familiar with roundtables, I'm sure? I mean, I've been in writers' rooms, uh, but no. Like, I have been part of. Um, both on both sides. We actually, we did one for the happy time murders, but I've been, you have to sign non-disclosure agreements. You can't even talk about like which movies you're in, but they'll call you and be like, Hey, can you come to the Chateau Marmont uh, on Thursday and Friday all day? And you're going to watch a cut of a movie or read a draft of it. Usually it's reading a script. And then you just sit there with 10 other people and you just go through and you throw out jokes and throw out gags. And uh, and it's so weird because you don't really, you're not familiar with the project at all. They're just like fishing to see if anybody can come up with funny stuff. And you go in and you read the script or you watch a cut of the movie, even if they're going to reshoot stuff or do ADR and you just throw out stuff. And sometimes they use it. Sometimes they don't. Oftentimes they don't. But I also, we did one for the happy time murders, uh, years ago where I, um, was the writer sitting at the keyboard and they invite other people. Um, to sit and we all go through the script and everybody throws out jokes and we got some really good stuff out of it. We got some stuff that we didn't cut out immediately, Um, but it's weird um, because it becomes more of a collaborative process when you're making a studio movie and they want to get all these ideas from all of these people.
0: Well, I would imagine in something like that, if you use someone's joke, then they're like, well, I want to get paid.
1: Well, that's why you (laughs) have, the moment you sign up, they make you sign this like agreement that says, I will never talk about being in this room, I will never try to claim credit for anything you use of mine. Like any joke I throw out, any idea I give you guys, you will, I will never try to take credit for it. And then you sign this document and you hand it over. And if they use any of your jokes or any of your ideas, you could end up giving them an idea that like totally re- changes the whole movie. You're like, what if that character was German, you know, and they end up going with that idea. Totally you change something from the movie, but you can never ask for credit because you agreed not to ahead of time. Yeah, it's like the uh
0: in a kind of a different field Steve Lukather from Toto uh they're kind of getting a little more publicity right now cuz Weezer Yeah cuz that Weezer cover Yeah uh, which I saw live the other night and it was fantastic cuz yeah. they brought out Weird Al Yankovic
1: I heard about this
0: It was and he's shredding on the harmonica but uh Steve Lukather has played on like 3000 albums you probably have some in your collection I've definitely got some in mine that He can't say he's on. Yeah. Uh, I might have a problem with that because (laughs) I'd be like, well, that's my joke. Uh, But, you know, I guess if you, you know, it's always weird with those collaborative situations.
1: And later on, especially with music where you find out later on that, like, did you know so-and-so secretly played on this album or wrote on this album? I'm really into this conspiracy right now, this theory that I read online that Mariah Carey, secretly wrote a lot of holes album celebrity skin like there's someone did this timeline with with mariah carey saying that she was gonna like take some time uh to go work on she wanted to work on alternative music and she was interested in exploring that and then months later she reported that she had done some writing on a alternative album and then years later there are all these weird cryptic quotes from her where they asked her like what her favorite albums were of the 90s, and she point, kept talking about whole celebrity skin. <laughs> and people are, it's it's pretty convincing when you read it. So check that out.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge 80s metal guy. Right. So, uh, you know, probably the number one songwriter for that era is a guy by the name of Desmond Child, mm. who I'm obsessed with because he's just, his publishing checks must be unbelievable because he wrote every hit for Bon Jovi, Aerosmith, Kiss and their comeback, uh, Ricky Martin, He's the guy, any American Idol winner, they go to him and go write him or her a song. Oh, wow. Uh, But on uh, a lot of some of the more obscure 80s metal bands who needed someone to help them, he would write under a pseudonym. And he said, you can't say I wrote it. Like, he was almost embarrassed by, like, I I don't want to be associated with this band. Right. But I'll take the checks.
1: Well, going. I've been invited to do roundtables for movies where... I've been like, can you make sure no one ever knows that I was? I, I added jokes to this. It'll be like a kids' movie, something that clearly is going to be terrible. And you go in and and they'll pay you. They pay you two thousand dollars for two days of work. And you go in and you sit and you throw out jokes just to use your creativity. But you you want to make sure like no one knows I ever worked on this. And you hear about that all the time. Well, they'll bring in some big filmmaker or some big writer to do a polish on a movie but he or she actively asks never to be associated with it.
0: See, I would be the opposite. I'm <laughs> like, I want Earl Skagel in the credits. Yeah. I You don't even have to pay me. I just want it out there that I worked. But what what I loved about the Happy Time Murders is the grueling process of the length of yeah. time. Yeah. And it's something like, it almost feels like the Happy Time Murders is like the story of my stand-up career. <laughs> Can you take us through the process of like when you first got the story in your head yeah. to all the pardon my language BS that you've had to mm-hmm. put up with to full circle?
1: Yeah. So, fifth. What is it? Two thousand eighteen. So eighteen years ago, uh, I was I went to the University of Texas in Austin, and uh, I had a classmate, this guy named D. Austin Robertson. And in class, we we had a project where we had to shoot on film and do a film project. And we bonded over our love of like weird cult cinema. Cause this is back, you know, when you had to go to a video store and actually find VHS, co- VHS copies of weird movies. And we bonded over our love of Peter Jackson's earlier work, right? Cause the Frighteners had just been in the theaters and we bonded over our love of Dead Alive and Meet the Feebles, which is a really weird, if you've never seen it. Like it's a crazy Peter Jackson directed R rated puppet movie from New Zealand. And it's crazy. And so Dee and I bonded over our love of Meet the Feebles. And we're like, well, why don't we do a a fucked up puppet movie for a class project? And so we did. I wrote the script and he directed it. And we made it for class. And it was about a little puppet. Like a guy's trying to quit drinking because he's an alcoholic. And then he's visited by this cute little blue puppet named Alki who represents his inner demon of alcoholism it's really messed up it's online you can watch it um where where online is it it's actually the hollywood reporter just posted it a few days ago so if you it's called manifest destiny uh so if you just google manifest destiny and todd berger or happy time murders you'll find it um but so d and i graduated we we moved out to la in 2002 and we immediately were like hey let's make a feature like you do right we're like hey let's make a little movie uh, we had so much success with this little puppet short, let's write a feature puppet movie, a, a rated puppet movie, and we'll go make it ourselves, you know? Uh, so I'll write the script, you'll direct it, it, it'll be great. So we came up with this idea for The Happy Time Murders because we both loved um, Meet the Feebles, we loved Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was, you know, puppets, oh. or uh, humans and animated characters. And um, and then at the time, uh, Training Day was very big in my life because Training Day was just in theaters and I just moved to Los Angeles and I thought of Training Day was like, oh, this is what LA is going to be like, right? And so we came up with this idea of this feature that combined all of those things of like a hard R movie with puppets and humans. That's like a gritty crime drama. And so we came up with characters, we came up with the script or the story. I wrote the script and developing it with D to direct it and then we realized we started showing it to people and everybody was like, Oh, this is crazy. How, how are you going to pay for this? Because we realized puppet movies cost a lot of money um, because you have to build all the sets because there are no floors. Like all the puppeteers have to be under the floor. And, uh, and puppets are hard to make and they're expensive. And then finding puppeteers is hard and expensive because these are actually trained professionals. It's not just like anyone can be a puppeteer.
0: Are they along the lines of, say, like voiceover actors where it's a very specialized
1: yes. Yes. skill? It's a very specialized skill and it's a very like close close community and they all know each other. Which is interesting, jumping ahead, is that when we were trying to get it made with the Hansen Company, they would send the script to actors to try to attach them and a lot of actors would read the script because it's the, it's, it's the story of a human puppet and a, I mean a human and a puppet teaming up like buddy cops. Uh, and the human character, who is now eventually played by Melissa McCarthy, uh, they would send the script to actors to read and say, hey, you want to do the movie? And actors would read the script and be like, yeah, I want to be the voice of the puppet. And <laughs> the Henson Company have to say, well, that's not how it works. It's not like animation where... Robin Williams can just come in and be the voice of the puppet. Like the puppeteer is a trained professional who is on set interacting with the actors. They're there, and there's more to it than just voices. There's interactions and movement and and spatial relationships. So that's not how it works. So unless you a list Hollywood actor, you want to go to puppeteering school for years and become a trained puppeteer. Like that's not how we do it. And so they'd be like, oh, never mind. Um, but I'm jumping ahead. But uh, but yeah, so it's a hard thing. And puppeteers are trained professionals and they're so good at it. And, um, and you don't realize, like, if you ever see a puppet uh, whose both hands are moving at the same time, one of those hands belongs to a completely different person. Because a puppeteer has, like a puppeteer uses his left hand To For the puppet's hand, but then the right hand is in the puppet's mouth, like making the puppet's mouth move. So there's literally a a role on the set called the right hand, and it's another puppeteer who's doing the right hand. And they're both controlling the puppet at the same time.
0: And they have to have, I would guess, instant chemistry to... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, do they typically know each other? Like Oh, yeah, yeah. They all work together. Like, they all, you know from what I know, I'm not too deep in the puppet community, but you'd be like, Hey, we need you to come do this thing. And they're like, cool. I'll get my right hand. Okay. Like they have a, a, a people that they use, you know, uh, as their right hand. Uh, so with someone they know, especially because during happy time murders, like Melissa, Melissa McCarthy does a lot of improv and she wanted to do a lot of improv. Normally when you do something with puppets, there's no improv because every little move has to be thought of ahead of time because the right hand needs to know what the left hand is doing. And, and um, but so it was technically very challenging, but uh, but the more they did it, the more they they got used to it and they pulled it off. Um, but anyway, so jumping back, this is about 2004 and D and I like tried to get it made. We tried setting up with some producers uh, and everyone who read the script were like, was, you know, they said, this is crazy. We love it. But we're not going to give you money to make this. Are you crazy? Like, what if this is a massive failure? This is weird. So we're like, okay. Um, And so we kind of abandoned it and we put it on the shelf and we just went off and did other things, but it was sitting there on the shelf. And we were like, one day, one day we're going to revisit this. And then in 2007, uh, the Henson company called my agency at this point. I know I had an agent and I was working just in Hollywood doing rewrites and book adaptations and, um, And the Henson Company called my agency and they said, hey, do you, the Henson Company is looking to start this new division called Henson Alternative. They've been doing these live shows, um, like live R-rated improv shows, and they're looking to get into the R-rated game of doing a puppet movie, an R-rated puppet movie. Do you have any writers who could be good to develop a project with them and my agent said well you know i have a writer who already wrote an r-rated puppet movie it's called the happy time murders he wrote it years ago and they're like oh well, we'll send it over so he sent it over and they read it and they're like oh great let's do this like we were going to develop something but let's just let's do this so they optioned the script from me in 2007 uh and then 10 years it took of and this is the henson company
0: you know yeah i mean they uh, to people who aren't familiar with the Henson company because younger yes. people are like who's Jim Henson? Which right. is like uh they are the Wayne Gretzky of <laughs> uh, this business. Yeah. Um so if they're calling you uh that must have like given you a light at the end of the tunnel vibe. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh yeah. And I mean, when we first came up with the idea, we thought we were going to want to be sued by the Hudson company. Like, right. Because they're, they're big puppet. They're, they're the ones who do this the best. So we even were worried about like, are they, are we going to get in trouble with them? Um, But then they called and they said they wanted to do the movie and we're like, Oh, great. (laughs) Perfect. Um, But even then it took them 10 years of, because trying to convince someone to give them the money to make the movie was hard because people would read the script and be like, oh, this is really fun. It was the kind of script that like people would read and say, I want to see this movie made, but I don't want to make it. Like, I don't want to be the one that puts money into this because what if it's a giant fiasco, you know? But over those years, we actually saw uh, other R-rated children's entertainment like things like Team America and Avenue Q and, um, Ted, like, and things that were taking children's entertainment, quote unquote, and making it for adults was starting to seep into mainstream culture and, and people were buying it and people were loving it. And so finally, after 10 years, um, of them trying to get actors attached or trying to get the money for it, um, this studio STX, which is a new studio that just showed up a couple of years ago Um, they read the script and they're like, yeah, we think we can do this. If we can find an A-list movie star uh, who will sign on. Um, And that's when they, Melissa McCarthy read the script and she read it and she was like, yeah, I love it. Like this speaks to my sense of humor, like R rated puppet humor is like exactly like the fever dream of my comedy stylings. And like, I'm in. And the moment she said she was in the studio was like, all right. And they greenlit the movie and they paid for it and they shot it. And now it exists. And how can people... It comes out in theaters Friday, August 24th, which is this Friday, depending on when you're listening to it. It's going to be in three thousand, over 3,000 theaters. So it is playing at a cinema near you. in And it's in countries all over the world, which is bonkers. I had a friend in Ireland send me a photo yesterday of a bus in Ireland with a poster on the side. But it's like it's every theater, it's at a theater near you all over the country, all over the world. Uh, starting this Friday.
0: Well, this will be out in about one hour. Okay, then perfect. So, so we'll. Uh, then and,
1: and Thursday night, you can actually go to advanced screenings Thursday night. So go to the Arclight, go to your AMC, use your Movie Pass. You can actually use Movie Pass for opening day. You sure on that? I did. Movie Pass actually wrote an article this week telling you which movies you can see on which day so that you know. And Happy Time Murders opening day, you can go see. With your movie pass, I swear to God, look it up.
0: And what's like, uh, there must be a tremendous sense of uh, this week. Uh, I mean, everything is based on instant results. Yes. How much money did this make? Right. Uh, and the pressure of uh, just how's it perform against, you know, whatever uh, Expendables movie is right. out. Uh, how are you feeling this week? Like it must be the wackiest, nervous excitement, uh, anticipation,
1: (laughs) dread. Yeah. Yeah. I'm way more, I'm way more focused on like, are people going to like it? Like, I don't care if it makes money. I mean, I, of course I care if it makes money because it's, it'll help for the future of uh, R rated puppet movies and my career, but I'm way more focused on like, are people going to like this? You know, are critics going to like it? Are regular people going to like it? Like, are my friends going to like it? I often think if, and I do this with a lot of things um, that I've worked on, if I, in an alternate universe where I didn't work on this, but it existed, would I want to go see it? And would I have liked it? You know, uh, you know how like you have friends who are in bands, and you go see their shows and you listen to their albums. And sometimes you think about if I didn't know these people, would I still listen to this band? And would I like this band? I think about that stuff all the time with my own projects. Like, would I would I like this movie? And I God, I hope so. Because if I don't, then like, what are we doing here?
0: Well, I mean, my musical taste is so bad that uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm mean, i still going to see 80s metal shows in 2018. Yeah. And uh, Now, it's a great cast, though. I mean, I'm yes. looking. You know, it's not just Melissa McCarthy, which would be enough to get. I mean, that would be enough to get me in because I'm friends with Billy Gardell and I love Mike and Molly. And, uh, you know, it's got Elizabeth Banks, mm-hmm. Maya Rudolph. I mean, Joel McHale, Joel, I yeah. love his. Yeah. I just love his sense of humor. He's really fun. And Michael McDonald. I mean, it's like, how do you go about uh, casting the human actors? Do you,
1: I I would imagine you'd be like, well, how how are they going to look with puppets? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what was really weird was hearing that there are certain actors who want to be acting with puppets. Like they think that's exciting. And then there are certain other actors who are like, nope. I don't do like, I don't act with puppets.
0: Do you think they think it's like, uh, I can imagine it was like when Burt Reynolds did the movie with a dog. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I I don't know. It was called canine cop, but something like that. He did a lot of bad movies back in the day and I, I've got them all. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine he was like, "Uh, I'm not working with a kid and a dog.
1: Right. Is it like that mindset? I guess, which seems like such a anachronistic mindset. Like, if it was like the fifties or something and someone's like, well, I don't do movies with puppets. Like I get it. But now I don't know. It seems like kind of cool. And it seems like you always see all these random people who were on Sesame street. Like Katy Perry was on Sesame street this week or some random, random actor uh, was on uh, Sesame street with Elmo this week. But I think, I don't know. Still some actors are scared of, they don't want to be in a talking dog movie and like they don't want to do a movie with puppets. Like they don't like anything outside of their wheelhouse that it's going to make them uncomfortable. They just don't want to do it. Um, but then there are other people who like Melissa McCarthy read the script and two pages in She's like, yep, I'm in. Like this is exciting. Uh, I want to be in a movie with puppets.
0: I mean, Morgan Freeman was in the electric company. Yes, like, that's which right. Which is like, yeah. I mean, I'm dating myself with that. <laughs> uh, I think that came on right before Sesame You know there's Street. a new electric company? Yeah, I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know.
1: But I remember the original.
0: Well, I don't like it when they remake. Now, you as a filmmaker might be able to guide me into
1: a different way of thinking, but uh, I hate it when they do remakes. Yeah. Um, If the original was good, then don't remake it. If the original is like a good idea that wasn't executed properly, then like, hey, go for it.
0: I mean, like, I I want them to start remaking bad movies. Yeah. take good burger and then <laughs> put like denzel washington and uh, i don't know mario van peebles oh, there you go uh and try and make it like good uh like the bad news bears remake was right it? like that's such a impactful movie to my childhood and you know it's funny because most of those kids weren't actors right which i think gave it its charm and you know the remake is billy bob thornton and he's very good but like uh you know it just wasn't the same.
1: Yeah, no, I this new Point Break remake. Was uh, horrific. Yeah, I was just like, what are we doing here? I don't really understand. Like, did you watch the original? Did you miss the spirit of it? Um, well, yeah, I was just like, I mean, I love Keanu Reeves. Yeah,
0: uh, and I don't like, to me, and this might come off as a passive aggressive insult, He's so bad, he's good. <laughs> At least in Point Break, where yeah. he's trying to do this wordy dialogue, and you know the the cast, you know Gary Busey. I, I could watch him in anything.
1: Well, I mean, there's a debate that I'm in all the time: is is Point Break the original a good movie? I think it's an amazing movie. It's directed by Catherine Bigelow. It's got an amazing script. The action sequences in it are amazing. Like, all of the actors are playing their roles perfectly. And I think it's a really great movie. But then I have friends who are like, oh, no, but it's like one of those it's so bad, it's good movies. And I'm like, no, it's genuinely good. Yeah, I mean, I think
0: it fit the era perfectly. That yeah. 1991 kind of big budget action. I mean, Swayze was great. His his whole crew, uh, although they were lesser known actors, yeah. were, like you said, I'm a big casting freak. Yeah. Uh, like, as a legitimate filmmaker, you're probably going to want to hit me over the head with that microphone. But my favorite movie of all time, and when people usually say this, they're thinking Gone with the Wind, uh, the Weathering Heights, uh, is a movie called 52 Pickup.
1: Oh, yeah. With Roy Scheider, right?
0: I, yes. It's like, because to me, it was perfectly cast. Yeah. Um, Roy Scheider's the the businessman. Anne Margaret's his wife. And the best bad guy actor. And it pains me that he's not more well-known as John Glover. He's in a lot of... He's a typical, I know that face, I don't know his name, actor. And it's just... That movie was a fantastic insight to me. Is Why wasn't this movie bigger?
1: John Glover, he... He he's in. Uh, he was in. Uh, he plays Trump in Gremlins too, right? Yes. Yeah. Clamp. His uh, name is Clamp.
0: He was. Uh, he was in Masquerade. Scrooge. He's Scrooge. Uh, uh, he
1: was. He was in uh, Smallville for like. Years. Yeah. He, he was, uh, Lex Luther's father.
0: He was. Um, uh, he's. I mean, you talk about the definitive working actor. Yeah. Um, he was in so many, he was in a TV show that never really made it with Peter Horton called Brimstone. Oh, wow. Where he played the devil. Wow. And Peter Horton was a cop. He uh, His wife got killed, so he's out for revenge. And John Glover's like the the devil on his shoulder going, get them. Wow. And uh, so I, but no one's seen 52 pictures. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, based on a book, right? It's an um, it Elmore yes, Leonard.
0: It, you talk about yeah. it's very much like Point Break from the standpoint yeah. of John Frankenheimer directed it. Yeah. Uh, Elmore Leonard uh, wrote the novel, and uh, I'm just Roy Scheider is like to me one of the most unheralded uh, actors. Absolutely. Of, of the maybe not this generation, the previous generation, uh, and you know one wrong decision in his career probably ruined him, which was he was Sequested S V. No, that got him back in the game, oh. <laughs> uh, which shows you how bad this decision oh, was. He was in Deer Hunter. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think he had the De Niro part. Oh, really? Yeah, and he had done location scouting for like two weeks. He was in the movie. Uh, but he had a falling out with, the I think, Universal, oh. and he wanted out of his contract. And they said, all right, uh, we'll let you out of the contract, but you have to do Jaws too." Right now, oh, and so he had to pick between Deer Hunter and Jaws Two, oh. which I, I Jaws Two to me is like Rocky Two. Yeah. It's not as bad as, uh, no. but let's get back to your films.
1: Yes, no, this is. But the, I will say before we, uh, I forgot that you forget how much Donald Trump and like Trump Tower was present in like eight late eighties early nineties pop culture and in one day i i remember watching gremlins 2 and i forgot that the whole movie is set basically in trump tower but it's clamp tower john glover plays donald trump in the movie as he's not the villain but he's like the bumbling uh he's like trump yeah he's trump and then i forgot that there's a in also in scrooge that john glover is so good and there's a trump tower reference at one point bill murray wakes up and he's like in a basement covered with snow and he's like what is this trump tower and then I watched Home Alone Two, and you forget that Donald Trump is in Home Alone Two. At one point, Macaulay Culkin's walking through the lobby of the Plaza mm-hmm. Hotel, and he bumps into Donald Trump. So you just can't escape the man. I mean, year. he
0: really—it's it, not to turn this into a, you know crossfire with Papu Cannon. Yeah, it's it's really. I stare at the TV every day and go, "How did he win? Uh-huh. Like how? Like I honestly think he didn't think he was going to win. Yeah, I think he thought I'll do this for publicity." you know i'll do the debates yeah do, i'll do my pro wrestling shtick and then that first republican debate he pretty much
1: won mm-hmm. it's like wow i mean i i i think he had his eyes on like trump tv like he was like yeah. oh great i'll start a tv station it'll be great and then he won he's like oh all right that's he, cool he beats all those established senators and you know people like jeb yeah. bush who are career politicians and he's like Maybe I can win. Well, people keep saying like, oh, are we? Are all politicians going to be Trump now? Are there just going to be these brash people who say what's on their mind? And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, this guy's a unicorn. He's one of a kind. Con- I can't think of any other person who has his spirits that could possibly run for president. Um, unless it's like Howard Stern or someone, you know, who has made a living off of just like saying what's on their mind and being this big personality. I mean, I don't know, uh, who the Democrats
0: run against him in 2020, but they're going to have to find someone like him, Yeah, which like you said, I don't like, I, I think you either find someone who's as crazy as he is, but who can out crazy him. Yeah. I, I would go myself with Joe Biden, but I think he's too old. Yeah, that's problem but is he that much older than trump no. isn't
1: trump like 75
0: at this point Trump, i think yeah. is 71 biden's 70. 75 but biden literally uh. is starting to look like yoda <laughs> uh so i just don't think that's a visual yeah it, trump looks at least semi-young or you put him up against a hot chick yeah uh, i know there's that new girl who's kind of rising in the democratic oh ranks. yeah, yeah. I forget her name it's a weird name yes uh, she might because I think that would be the ultimate mind blank. That would be badass to run a hot girl. socialist
1: Democrat from you, Brooklyn. Like you, you can't say
0: you yeah. can't. Like what is the what was the girl's? Uh, he made fun of her face. Oh uh, uh, yeah, and, and uh, I forget her name, but uh, and then he's making fun of Maxine Waters look. But if you had a hot girl running, he couldn't make fun of her looks she would probably intimidate him because she's like, I have no interest in sleeping with you. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting in that regard. Um, And it kind of comes into line with another movie you did with something that recently happened in the news with, you know, Roseanne Barr did her, uh, you know, uh, series of unfortunate tweets. Yes. Uh, There's just, you know, I'm all about crossing the line or bordering the line and, and, trying to get a lap but like there's just no defending that one tweet in particular and yeah. then you have Tom Arnold kind of he's really fired up about yeah. this and
1: you did a movie with him I did. Chasing was, Christmas Chasing Christmas it was a it was interesting it was the first uh it was a spec script that I wrote if you don't listeners are unaware like there when you're a screenwriter you can either get hired to write a movie which is an assignment, or there's a spec script, which is something that you just write on your own, and then you send out and hope hopefully somebody wants to buy it. And I wrote that as this, it was a R-rated Christmas movie. It was called The Spiritual Guilt Trip. And it was like it was Scrooged-esque, but it was um, it was about the ghosts of Christmas, but it was R-rated, and the Ghosts of Christmas like carried guns and killed people and stuff. But then, and it went around town and people were like, whoa, this is interesting, but um, no. But then ABC Family got a hold of it and said, we want to do this, but we want to do it as like a TV, a G, PG rated television TV movie. And I was like, great. I was 25, I guess. Uh, and so I did a draft of it and I made it, I took it from being an R rated like action Christmas movie with the Ghost of Christmas carrying guns to a ABC Family TV movie. And they shot it in Vancouver, and they cast Tom, Tom Arnold. I got to go to set a couple days in Vancouver and hang out with Tom Arnold. He was very nice. Um, but he was very intense. A lot of energy. Um, He's like I loved him in Sons of Anarchy. Oh, yeah. Where he just played a
0: porn producer. Yeah. Uh, He's great in True Lies. Yeah, yeah I mean, I kind of like him, to be yeah. honest with you. I mean, I, you know, the current... You know, he seems to have a bit of an axe to grind against
1: <laughs> Roseanne. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm starting to... Since it wasn't the best breakup between the
1: two, right? But was he like fun and professional? And oh, yeah, super, super. And he was like super. And he, like, I was, you know, like a 25 year old kid showing up to set, and he was super cool and like super, like, giving me tips on the business and like, and, um, you know, telling me stories and, and uh, taking me not under his wing really, but like he was like totally fine with it. Cause a lot of people are super, when you're super young as a writer, they just like roll their eyes and they're like, yeah, whatever. But he was like super fine with it. And, and uh, we had some good conversations and he was, yeah, he was good. Like he knew what the deal was. And at that time he was doing a bunch of these like ABC family type Christmas movies. And that was his, his, his gig at the time. And uh, he was loving it. No cover versions. Yes. That came out this year. That came out this year. It came out in April. Yeah. It's available right now on Hulu or on iTunes or Amazon. Google Play, Google Voodoo. Play, Voodoo. Which I, what is Voodoo? Uh, I have no idea what that okay. is. Okay. It's well,
0: spelled V U D U. Well, uh, if, if anyone out there but knows what know Voodoo what is. is. Yeah uh, please go. Yeah. Is it, you buy it or you, you can
1: rent it or you can buy
0: it. Uh, well, buy it. Yeah. Uh, and on direct TV, which I am familiar with. Oh uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, what, uh, I see a very co- Jeffrey trainer. Like,
1: uh, Oh yeah. You had him. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. He's a buddy of mine. He was on, so cover versions was, um, it's my first, I've done a lot of comedy, but this was actually not a comedy at all. It's a thriller. Like it's a thriller, murder mystery. It's about a band going to Coachella. Um, And I wrote it and I directed it. And it's basically a Rashomon uh, movie about a band. Um, And each band member takes a turn telling their version of of events. It's about a band going to Coachella. They're going to play a show on Saturday morning. So on Friday, they go to the festival. Of course, we don't call it Coachella in the movie because it's against the law. Golden Voice will sue you. Um, So they're going to the festival out in Coachella Valley, but uh, it's not Coachella. It's just referred to as the festival. Anyway, so they get a house, like an Airbnb in Palm Springs, and they all agree we're not going to party because we need to rehearse tonight. Uh, But then they end up partying, and when they wake up, um, the house is trashed, and there's a dead girl in the swimming pool. And so you you see each band member's perspective, uh, the lead singer, the bass player, uh, the guitarist, um the keyboard player the drummer like they each take a turn telling the story of what happened to this girl and each one's wildly different and uh and the way we shot it was each one actually has a different style to it so when the singer tells her version of the story it looks like a sundance movie like a um a super like cool like indie sundance movie and then when the keyboard player who's kind of a douche tells his version of the story it's a super slick hollywood movie. And Jerry Trainer plays the drummer who's kind of like the stoner of the group. And when he tells his story, it looks like a 1970s, like Robert Altman movie with long zooms and wide shots. And so it's pretty fun. And uh, it's a, like a, a fun uh, whodunit throwback to like mid 90s Tarantino movies. Uh, so yeah, check it out. And it tells about It's a Disaster. So it's a Disaster was a movie I wrote and directed back in 2012. Um and it stars Julia Stiles and David Cross and America Ferrera and I I'm I was I guess I still am technically in a comedy group called the Vacationers, uh we just don't do anything anymore but
0: why not just everyone goes their different ways busy now
1: like we're all busy with other stuff that's good but we all talk about like one day we need to get together because we actually used to do live improv shows, uh in Los Feliz there used to be a, a venue called Tangier uh, which was like a live music performance venue and we would put on comedy shows and then it it became tangier korean barbecue which makes no sense because tangier is a city in morocco right uh but then now it's a starbucks it's like a high-end starbucks like whatever they call those it's like a gold class starbucks um with -hmm. like i think there's a bar in it i don't know but um but we had made a movie in 2009 called the Seensters, which was like a handheld uh found footage movie about crime scene videographers and then it played a bunch of festivals and then we made another movie in 2012 called it's a disaster which is basically a uh like a woody allen comedy of manners about a bunch of people who four couples get together for brunch like a couple's brunch and then um they find out that the bombs are falling like there's been a terrorist attack on their city and there's radiation outside and we all need to stay inside and duct tape up the windows and figure out what's going on. Um, but it's funny. And, uh, and yeah, so it's eight, only eight characters really in the movie and they're all just stuck inside as maybe the end of the world is happening outside. And, um, it's pretty funny. Played a bunch of festivals, got a lot of, uh, we had a small theatrical run, played about 25 cities and uh, it's available right now on Hulu, uh, on Plug Amazon it. Prime. Yeah. And uh, watch it tonight. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: uh, it's either that or the new Kevin Spacey movie, The Billionaire oh, right. Boys Club. I heard it made
1: $126 in theaters.
0: Well, which is, you know, I'm now this is a tough one uh, because I knew the actual head of the Billionaire Boys Club, Joe Hunt.
1: Oh, really? Uh,
0: we used to play tackle football uh, on uh, Laurel Canyon on Saturday afternoons. Okay. And he would come and play with us. And so I have a, I, I guess, an obsession with that whole story. Yeah. And there's a great TV movie uh, with Judd Nelson playing Joe Hunt. Really? Uh, yeah, it's like it was on NBC. Uh, Brian Mcnamara's in it. He's like the new Ted McGinley. If he's in it, <laughs> he, I mean he's he was in like Caddyshack too. So it's like oh boy, this is tough. But uh, I, I, like, how, how is it possible that a movie can only make a hundred and twenty six dollars? Like a, it almost seems like a gag.
1: Yeah, I remember. I remember reading this article about the the movie, the lowest grossing movie of all time, which is is called Zizik's Road. You know when you're driving to Vegas, Vegas yes. there's Zizzix Road. Yes, Z Z Y X Z Z or something. And apparently, it made seven dollars. Um, and you're like, well, how is that even possible? So, a lot of movies, when you get a distribution deal, here's a little secret: um, when you get a distribution deal for your movie, um oftentimes, you know, you say you have direct TV, right? And you want to go look and you'll see this thing that says in theaters now, like on your direct TV, like the happy time murders, right? Like the happy time murders. Um, but so if you have a little movie that you've made, um, and you want to get it into the direct TV folder or time Warner cable, whatever the little folder that says in theaters now, as if, Ooh, I'm getting to watch a movie that's in theaters at home already? Wow. The distributor will put it in theaters across the country, but make sure no one sees it. Oh, great. They will put it in like Peoria, Illinois, in a a small art house theater. They won't advertise it. Like, that's not the objective. They don't care if anybody sees it in the theater. They just contractually need to put it in theaters so that they can then go to direct tv and say this is a theatrical movie that's playing in theaters so if i remember correctly like this is road they contractually had to put it in theaters right and they did and then someone bought a ticket for it like there's you don't even know it's playing (laughs) probably it's not in the paper it's not on the website it's just in this theater they kind of hope no one discovers it um I mean, if you do, it's fine. But someone must have stumbled upon this movie and they were bored and Catherine Heigl was in it. And they're like, oh, I'll go see the Sixth Road. So this is probably what happened with Billionaire Boys Club is they put it in like one theater and then 10 people decided to go see it over the course of the week or the well, weekend. And then it made $126.
0: I mean, Catherine Heigl, in my humble opinion, peaked at Under Siege 2. Oh. But that's just Dark my- territory.
1: Is she in that? I forgot she was in She's that. the daughter- She's his daughter? He,
0: that might be one of those movies that's so bad it's good because yeah. uh, Eric Boghossian's in it. That's right. And uh, I'm a, I am have this obsession with the, the, the Palestinian drug dealer, Eddie Nash, mm. who was a mythical figure in the uh, L.A. He was uh, basically the, um, if you saw Boogie Nights, he was the character Alfred oh, the, Molina. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but in Wonderland, which is the actual story of John Holmes, yeah. Uh, Eric Bogosian plays Eddie Nash. So he's... It's,
1: it's funny. So, the movie I was talking about a minute ago, The Seensters, the first movie that my comedy group made, the inspiration for it was I, w- I was watching the Wonderland DVD, and one of the DVD extras is the actual crime scene footage right. of the John Holmes murders. Um, and, uh, and it's like 15 minute long. take. Like they just got the footage from the LAPD and put it on this DVD without editing it. And it's gruesome. And But you can just hear the cops talking in the background. Like, hey, you want to the Raiders game this weekend? Like it's their job. Like they don't, they're not taking it seriously at all. It's not like CSI or something. And that inspired me to do a comedy about people who work at crime scenes who like don't, like don't really treat it very dramatically because it's just their day job.
0: Well, here's the crazy thing. You know who the lead detective was? In the John Holmes—they call it the Four on the Floor murders. I don't know. Tom Lang, who was the lead detective in the OJ, really. So it's, if you if you go back and watch that, there's a, a, a it's like he's doing a promo for it. You see him <laughs> lean into the camera, and go, "We're here at uh, 8565 Wonderland. I'm Detective Tom Lang," and then you never see him again. Wow. He, just, he does the voiceover. Wow! Uh, but that was. Uh, such a wacky story, yeah. as has a child uh, that I, I've, I've often wanted them to do a movie just on Eddie Nash. Mm. I don't Which leads me into my next question to you as a filmmaker yeah. Like in this me too and, and times up uh, environment we live in and, and, and just I guess being maybe the most politically correct we've ever been rightfully so given what's going on in hollywood the last 30 years can you make an edgy movie these days or or a documentary or like because i know you made a great documentary called don't eat the baby yeah, yeah. which was about uh the first mardi gras uh post katrina
1: Kat- yeah, right after six months after Katrina, yeah.
0: and that dealt with some pretty heavy images and yeah like how, how do you go about making uh
1: riskier projects in this environment I mean, I think the important thing is to, you know, include people like in in both the making of the movie and in when you're casting the movie and like if you I think yeah edgy movies are going to continue, um, uh, but you know a documentary or if you're basing something on a true story just like try to keep it real and if you're keeping it real you're just reflecting reality and if someone wants to say hey your documentary is you know like, I don't agree with it. You're like, well, hey, I'm just documenting reality. Like, if you don't like it, then you don't like the re- reality I was showing. But it's not like I have an agenda. Uh, I'm just actually documented something that went on. Um, Did and- you run into that with the Katrina documentary? Or like, Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, with the Katrina documentary, like we tried to show how all these different communities were affected, whether it was, you know... Poor, the poor community, the rich community, the white community, the black community. Like, we tried to interview people um, from all these different walks of life about the city. But then immediately after the first screening, like, someone stood up and said, Well, what about the Hispanic community? Like, you didn't interview anyone from the Hispanic community. And, you know, and I, all I could say was, Look, the movie is only 85 minutes long. Like, I could only interview so many people, you know? Right. But immediately, or like, what about, like, you didn't do a whole segment on the gay community? And I'm like, I only had it. Like I was trying to tell a movie about this particular story and there was only so much ground I could cover. If I had 10 hours to tell the story, I'd love to go in all these other, but like people are going to find problems with literally anything you ever do. Um, every Q and I've ever been part of for any of my movies, someone will get up eventually and ask a question, picking apart something or thinking something was offensive. Um, or like even in cover versions, um, there's a scene in the movie where uh, a character has a, she keeps a bathing suit in her purse. And one of the characters is like, oh, I guess we know what kind of girl you are. And at a Q&A, when it premiered at the Palm Springs Film Festival, somebody was like, oh, so why are you, slut-shaming slut the character? And I was like, well, I'm not. I'm, the character in the movie was. There's a big difference between the person who wrote the character and the character. And you have to be able to distinguish the difference between... A writer and the characters that the writer created so this character in the movie was slut shaming the character but that was the character it right. was actually i did that on purpose because you were then supposed to feel a particular way about that character but i i don't i don't agree with it but then then you get into the weird thing of like separating art and artist. and oftentimes when people i'm at a q a for one of my films and people are like well what were you trying to say with that I, my go-to response is like, I don't know, what do you think? You know, like it's art. So you interpret the art as you wish. Um, but to answer your question, I think I think edgy movies are going to continue and I think people are going to keep making them. But I do think people are going to be more careful about um, running certain things by people. Like, especially like if you're going to make a movie about a community like, that you are not part of. Like, I think people are going to be more careful about running it by someone from that community uh, just to be like, hey, is this cool, you know? Or am I being offensive, you know? If I decide I'm going to go make uh, a movie about uh, a Native American reservation in Oklahoma, like, it's probably a good idea for me to run it by a Native American person at some point just just to make sure I'm being somewhat authentic um and i so i think that's probably what's going to happen more and more which is not necessarily a bad thing at all um but who knows we'll see
0: well i mean i know i you know like i said i'm a big metal head and i know netflix is doing a motley crew movie right and i don't know how that movie ever is going to get made when you Taken uh, the Me Too movement, and you know, let's just say I think Motley Crue at some point might have had a love of underage girls. <laughs> you know, I, I think they have a song in particular that delves into the topic. And you know, like Kiss has a song called Christine 16, that's and, right. Uh, Winger, God forbid, I, I probably the only person to ever bring up Winger on a podcast. They have a song called 17, and Ted Nugent earlier has a song called Jailbait, but in I, like, I don't know how they're going to make a Motley Crue movie in, in this current environment. Yeah. Uh, so, and I know Al Pacino. My Probably my favorite Al Pacino movie is a movie called Cruisin'. Oh, yeah. Which uh, William Friedkin uh, directed, and it's a movie that a lot of people say didn't paint the gay community. In, uh, yeah. You know, because it's a very dark mm-hmm. uh, movie where he goes undercover to catch a gay serial killer. And uh, so it, it'd just be interesting to... I don't know if like a, a movie like cruising could get made in 2018. Well,
1: well, no. And what's really interesting is that every historical figure ever you look back and you're like, Oh, they kind of did some bad stuff, you know? right. especially in their personal lives. So it's like, where do you draw the line? Cause if you're going to do a movie about, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln, like I'm sure he did something sketchy and at some point in his life, like, do you include that part? And if you don't include it, um, cause so many of our, heroes right in american history or world history like they married a 14 year old you know because that's what they did back then you know they did all of these things that were pretty sketchy Uh, she
0: looked 15 in his defense
1: i I read an article the other day i was watching raiders of the lost ark and somebody pointed out that if you do the math when indiana jones and marion played by karen allen were in a relationship she was probably like 15 because she even says like i was a child you know, you took my innocence from, I don't remember what the lines are. Right. But like if you do the math for how old Karen Allen was when they shot the movie and then how long it's been since he's seen her, she was probably like 15, 16 years old when Indiana Jones had a relationship with her. But hey, it was a different time. You know, I often thought about
0: that. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, they haven't seen each other for a while. She's young when they're reconnecting. She must have been really young.
1: She literally says, I was a child and he's like what do you want me to say marion i already apologized yeah i mean i watched uh
0: the pacino it's go go back to pacino the paterno movie he did Oh yeah and uh wow this is going to be a tough uh i was very interested to see how they would kind of cover the sandusky era stuff and they you could tell they definitely uh like if Turner was made in the eighties, it would have been a lot uh, more real, maybe realistic's the wrong word, but uh, edgier. Yeah. Uh, so, uh,
1: but yeah, in- I I think you're right though, with like his, now doing biopics and true stories of historical people. Like if you're trying to lionize someone and make them look good, it's going to be harder because they will probably have some ghosts or skeletons in their closet. But if your objective is to make them look bad or complicated it'll be even easier you know because you'll be able to actually you know when you do the elvis movie and you point out that like (laughs) lisa marie was pretty young like maybe forge some stuff to get married you know
0: yeah it's (laughs) like how do you like portray him where you're not like you know, obviously Elvis fans are probably first up in the line. Right. At the movie theater, or I don't even know if people go to theaters anymore, but hopefully they do this Friday to see yeah, the Happy Time August twenty fourth, the Happy yeah. Time Murders. Uh I'll be seeing it on the Sunset and uh, I believe Ivar. Oh excellent. Uh, and um but like you don't wanna piss off like, say in Elvis's case, his fan base, but you
1: also have to kind of be realistic yeah you know it's, it, I, well that's why the thing to do now is pick and don't try to tell the entire story of someone's life but like pick an event right so what you would do is you would pick like one a week of elvis's life like maybe the last week of elvis's life or the week of the 68 comeback special or something and like t- tell a movie about that and so if you want to do your motley crew movie don't try to tell the entire story of motley Crue pick one particular event make the movie about that and then you could probably try to avoid any of the sketchiness that you don't want to put in your movie that makes these people look not so great
0: well i personally would have liked to have been called in for the casting you know <laughs> if my stand-up career ever drops off the face of the earth yeah. which is a distinct possibility i think i have a second career as a casting director because uh, i love character actors yeah like i you tell me if I'm wrong in this. You're always gonna get one big actor in it like Melissa McCarthy. Right. In the Happy Time Murders out Friday. But to me what makes the a movie like The Happy Time Murders is the secondary actors. Yes. You know, and even the even the people with two lines. You know, the, the guy playing the the liquor store owner who the Muppet uh, a puppet not Muppet sorry we don't want to get you sued by that's Jim right. Hansen puppet yeah uh comes in and you know that liquor store owner's key to that scene uh did you have much of a
1: say outside of Melissa McCarthy like in terms of the casting no not really uh I you know as the writer they don't you write you write your script and then and let you you, you that's your job um so they handled all of that but um Having seen the movie, like I think the casting directors did a really good job. And like, even the, the, and it's funny because not only are the one line parts for the humans really good, but the one line puppet parts, you know, because they had to cast the puppeteers. Right. It's a whole other skill set. Like, you have to cast A, what pop, like when she's walking down an alley and there's puppet prostitutes, like A, what do those prostitute puppets look like? And B, who's playing them, you know? So there's a whole separate casting process to, Pick the puppeteer to play those puppets. And um, it's a whole other interesting way to look at it because you have to pair them up with um, what's the puppet and what do they sound like and how do they act. And uh, it's kind of crazy.
0: But I would imagine that, like, and I know I'm probably have a naive view of how Hollywood works. Right. Because I know that, you know, the writers are probably the least. Liked people on seg is oh they just wrote this thing we'll take it from here chief uh you know unless they're shane black you right. know it's like a well we're gonna put him in predator he did write it uh but i would imagine like well he wrote it or she uh who did he imagine in the role of melissa mccarthy like did he imagine her in it or did he imagine uh Lindsay lohan uh, uh you know or you know one of the girls from two broke girls uh i would yeah. imagine your input would be
1: like, who did you see in the lead? Well, you never know, right? And like, some I've been on projects where they ask me, like, who did you, when you were writing the script, like, who did you imagine, you know? Or who oh, okay. Would you okay. But then I've also been part of projects where I, I turn in the script and then they never ask me for my input about anything. But as a writer, you have the power to literally write what you think the character is and right. like what they look like and how they behave, you know? And I mean, I've even seen writers who literally will put the names of actors or actresses that they think like a Steve Buscemi type walks yeah. in, you know? Like a older squirrely guy, like a like a like a modern Steve Buscemi type, you know, like they will just say who they think um should play the role. Um, hoping hopefully hoping that the casting director will take that nugget. But then, you know, they're a casting director, just like with any person who works creatively there are casting directors who would want to know like hey writer what were you thinking or there are casting directors who just immediately throw out all of your ideas and they're like well this is my job like you let me handle it right like, i I'll, didn't write it yeah
0: you're not going to cast
1: exactly it. <laughs> like i didn't write it i didn't, but my job is to read the script and think about um especially because a casting jo- director's job is to know all of those um actors those character actors who I've never wouldn't even think of, but like, like a John Glover or right. Right. If, of like if they said, Hey, we, we, what about John Glover? I would be like, Oh yeah, he would be good. Because normally if you ask a writer, even if it's like a bit part, they're like, well, who would you think would play the bartender? Like, Oh, I don't know. Like Al Pacino. Like, well, clearly Al Pacino is not going to come out to play the bartender for two lines.
0: I'll go Brian Dennehy. <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe Dennehy. Um, But a casting director actually knows, okay, well, you want Al Pacino. He's not going to do it. Let me think of who's Al Pacino-esque, but actually will do it, you know, and I can get and I can call him right now. Um, And (laughs) that's what they do, right? Because it's not... The harder part about being a casting director is not getting the Melissa McCarthy for the lead. It's all of those other people. And not... Because I think the problem so many young filmmakers have is they just cast all their friends... They're like, well, I have a friend who's a good actor and I want to put them in the movie. But sometimes your friends aren't the best people right. you know, for the roles. And casting directors are really good at figuring out who's the best, not just who do I know that I want to hook up with a job and so they get residual checks. So it's tricky.
0: But I'm just such a fan of casting. Yeah. I think like even something as simple as the movie Predator, which you would think, all right, it's Schwarzenegger, it doesn't yeah. really matter who's with him. But like they put those seven guys probably three of them have, you know jesse ventura was a wrestler he yeah. probably never acted sonny landham who i i have an autographed picture of sonny landham <laughs> upstairs in my bedroom uh you know he, he was like the bad guy in 48 hours but he he didn't have a ton of acting like somehow you took all these semi-inexperienced actors you put them together and that movie works yeah um i mean carl weathers was probably the most uh established actor yeah uh but i know stallone did that with rocky he put his brother in it uh, the great frank stallone uh (laughs) you know carl weathers i don't think at that time it had a lot of
1: acting experience um and the movie worked yeah totally um i mean to me the best cast movies are movies where you would want to see this group of people in at any mood, like I would want to take the group from Predator and just see them all in another movie doing something else.
0: Put them in Heat.
1: Yeah, like make them a heist crew. Like great.
0: Not Maybe. the Burt Reynolds Heat. There's two heats, by the way. Oh yeah. There's.
1: I actually watched the first like half an hour of the Burt Reynolds Heat not too long ago, and I just couldn't get into it. Well, let me tell you, give it a second chance okay. because Howard Hessman's
0: in it. He plays. It's from WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah, like here's my casting director. Like, who the hell knows who Howard Hessman is? Yeah, I know his IMDb credits. Uh, and uh, Peter McNichol, really, from Ally McBeal plays like his nerdy sidekick, and it's really. It's set in Vegas, right? It's set in Vegas, he's a down and out yeah. private detective. Uh, his prostitute friend gets beat up. Mm-hmm. He goes in for revenge. And I mean, it, it's, it's not the heat that most people think of. Yeah. Uh, but even that heat with De Niro and Pacino, great movie, but I just, the side characters like Ted Levine, you know, have you ever seen, there's a
1: documentary called that it's, it's called like that guy who is in that thing. Yeah. About the character. Yeah. Actors. It's just all character actors. Yeah. It's like
0: great. Someone like say, a M Emmett Walsh. Yeah who's literally his IMDb page is like 400.
1: I did a um I, I directed the first season of a TV show last summer that was on this streaming platform called Go90 that doesn't exist anymore. But um it's called Liberty Crossing and uh Chris Mulkey. <laughs> he we cast him as like the old guy who works at the office and when our casting director said, "Have you heard of Chris Mulkey?" I was like, "No, who is that?" And then I googled him and I was like Oh, of course I know who Chris Mulkey is. You should have called me. Okay.
0: <laughs> I would have given you the quintessential Chris Mulkey uh, TV episode. You would have cast him. He was in one of my favorite episodes of The White Shadow. Oh. Uh, which is, I'm obsessed with that show. Yeah. Uh, he was playing a Russian high school student who was going to defect. What? To America. The, the, the premise of the episode was uh, Carver High. They're playing a Russian high school. They come over to America, <laughs> and Chris Malky stays at Hayward's house. Thomas Carter, in real life, who's a big director now, yeah. uh, and it's a great interaction between a kid in the ghetto and Chris Malky, who's you know pretty white. Yes, um, but if that's not enough to sell you on Chris Malky, yeah. look no further. Than the great Tom Selleck movie Runaway with <laughs> maybe one of the greatest bad guys of all time and one of my favorite bass players Gene Simmons wow as the bad guy wow. but before you go because I know I know you have a premiere well, I
1: will say the thing about um, Chris Mulkey what's great is like we would just talk over lunch every day and you just he's been in so much stuff that it would be so great talking he's a super nice guy super friendly uh, also a musician and. We'd be talking, and I would mention like um, the AMC TV show Halt and Catch Fire came up one day, and he's like, oh, I like that show. Wait, no, I was in that show. I played the main girl's father. Yeah, that's a good show. Like, he's been in so much that sometimes he would be like, wait, was I in that? Oh, yeah, I was. I was the main character's father. Um, I mean,
0: it's frightening how many, I mean, he, he you, you talk about M.M. at M. M. Wall. She's essentially this generation's M.M. at M. M. Wall. M. Emmett Walsh. Yeah. I mean, he's been steadily acting since The White Shadow in 78. Oh, Constantly,
1: always like, doing stuff.
0: And he th- loves it. You know?
1: Yeah. A great time.
0: I just met him once at the supermarket and I'm like, loved you and run away. <laughs> and he just looked at me and goes, you're about the only one. Uh, now, before I let you go, you I mean, I could talk to you for... Because you have a movie premiere
1: or something going yeah, on tonight? Yeah, it's like a screening of the movie that I... But I've people can't with. come to that, right? Not tonight, Okay, no, But starting Thursday night, August 23rd,
0: you can go. You can go see uh, the movie. It's out in theaters nationwide, uh, The Happy Time Murders. Um, I'm going to see it Friday night. Excellent. Um, talk. can you talk just a little bit... like? you'd have to be here another hour to go over everything you've done. You've done feature yeah. films, short films, animation, television, web series, music videos. Tell us about the novel you wrote, Showdown City.
1: Oh yeah. So, you know, I've been a screenwriter for years. Um, but finally it was like on my bucket list as I wanted to write a novel. And it's always like picking the subject matter, like that you wanted to talk about. Uh, and, because I am a screenwriter and I have a screenwriting agent, every time I have an idea, I'm like, well, why don't I just write it as a screenplay, right? Because I have the access of being able to write a screenplay and then have an agent and show it to people. But finally I had this idea that I was like, I don't think anybody would want to make this as a movie unless it was based (laughs) on a book first. Um, So I just had this idea because I was reading about how um, Central Nevada is like 90% of Nevada is owned by the federal government and you just can't go to central Nevada. It's like where area 51 is in Nellis air force base. And it's all just federal land that like human beings have never been to since like the old West times, because it's just federally regulated and you can't go there. And so, and I was also just really like, interested in gun culture and like guns in America. And like, how can I satirically say something about guns? I don't know without hitting people over the head with it. So I came up with this idea and I wrote it as a novel It's called showdown city. And the basic pitch is it's about this helicopter pilot in Las Vegas who, who, you know, flies people over the Hoover dam or whatever. And he's approached by this billionaire, um, this guy named Ernie swords. And he says, I'm a gun collector and I, I he's from Texas and he like, I collect guns and I've been looking for this missing gun that was on an old West, uh, 135 years ago, there was a wagon train that headed out West and disappeared. And there was a gun, a very famous gun on it. And I want to hire you to fly me into the middle of Nevada where we think this, what this wagon train disappeared. And, um, it's illegal, like you're not supposed to fly there, but I'm going to pay you a bunch of money under the table to fly me into federal airspace. And so this helicopter pilot's like, okay, well, let's do it. So they get in a helicopter along with this history professor and his assistant. They fly into central Nevada and they get shot down and they crash and they wake up in the in the mountains. And at first they think, oh my God, we've been shot down by the air force or whatever. And they walk um, through the woods and they come upon a clearing and there before them is a fully functioning old West town. And they're like, Oh my God, like we've traveled through time, I guess. So they go down into the town and they walk into the general store and you know, there's a calendar on the wall that tells you it's 2018. And they're like, wait, what? And it turns out that this wagon train 135 years ago got lost in central Nevada. And then all their horses died. So they've just been out here ever since and this little old west community uh that has just been living on their own isolated they're they're in the middle of the desert there's nowhere for them to go Uh, but they happen to live in this little forest area and no one has found them in 135 years because you can't go there because it's regulated by the government and the government doesn't know they're there uh so basically and they're all crazy because they've all lived by old west justice and rules for 135 years. So it's kind of just like this fun satire of like almost like a fun like a, a play on a, like libertarianism or something. Like, what if you had a town that had no laws right. and you left it alone for 135 years? What would happen? So it's these these people from Vegas who stumble upon this town with their with their crazy rules and government or lack of government. And and it's funny. it's a a satire it's a comedy so
0: and where can people buy that
1: buy it on Amazon Barnes and Noble wherever books are still available you can actually get a hard copy of it a physical copy Um, on Amazon you can order it online but it'll be shipped to you because I I'm old school I like
0: a hard like any of these books like I like a book I can I I would buy
1: CDs if they sold yeah no no you can buy an actual physical copy and I will sign it for you next time I see you
0: well, I would like to have you back just because I know you got some things to do tonight. Yeah. Um, but uh, the best place for people to find you are you on? Do you do the Twitter? i do the social
1: media. I'm now verified on all platforms. So uh, I'm at the Todd Burger on Twitter. I'm Johnny Voodoo, the Johnny Voodoo on Instagram. And I think I'm on Facebook as Todd Burger.
0: And then uh, to to get a little taste of everything you've done Todd Todd,
1: dash burger.com is my website where I put up all my short films and links to all my stuff. So yeah, check that out.
0: And to my fan base, I feel I have to say this, uh, Mr. Burger's last name is not B U. That's right. It's B E R G E R. That's right. And, uh, go see the movie. You know, this is like why I do this podcast is to expose my fans to New and cool stuff, and I don't have a lot of authors and uh, movie makers on because uh, they all turn me down. To be honest <laughs> with you, but uh, thank you, Todd, very much for coming. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you to Melanie uh, for setting this up. Yes, she's I don't great. want to say her last name because she might not want. Okay, my fan base on in her crosshairs, <laughs> but uh, inappropriate. Earl SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, go see Todd's movie, The Happy Time Murders, out Friday, and, uh, or Thursday if you if you can't contain if you're yourself. Ambitious. And uh, Todd's an awesome dude. He's very talented, and I hope you support him. And then he'll come back when he's a big, huge. Well, he already is. He's got a movie in okay. Melissa McCarthy. And then maybe I can get Melissa McCarthy on, or yeah. at the least, Chris Malky. <laughs> that I
1: can make happen. I want him so bad. I can make. I can make a call for you. We're
0: gonna talk off there. Okay. <laughs> Inappropriate Earl. Thank you guys very much.